Are you glad you're redeemed today? Amen. You know, uh, when Pastor said he was dancing the way uh, his grandfather did, uh, I actually think that's just the way Pastor dances, don't you? I, I've seen him dance like that many times. And uh, I'm always thankful when I see a legacy of, uh, of worship. How many want to be a worshiper? Amen. How many want to be a worshiper? Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for standing. How many are wide awake and just ready to fight the devil this morning? Praise the Lord. All right. Well, we want to get right into our Bible lesson. And I want to talk about biblical essentials. Everyone said essentials. And uh, that word essential is an important word. Uh, I looked it up and it says essential is a thing that is absolutely necessary. It's absolutely necessary. And the synonyms of, of essential are necessity, prerequisites, requirement, need, precondition, stipulation, or a must have. And so today I'm talking about Christian biblical essentials that are not only essential to our salvation. How many want to be saved today? So these are essential to our salvation. They're essential to our walk with God, and they're essential to our lifestyle and our relationship with God. And uh, we're going to look at as many of them as we can. I have eight of them total. I don't know if I'll get all, through all eight of them this morning. But these are things that we absolutely must believe and put our confidence in. Now, why are you doing that this morning? It's an anniversary weekend, and, and I had really prayed about uh, talking about legacies this morning or giving honor or the importance of remembering and all of those things. And, uh, but I felt like the Lord laid it on my heart to just remind us of what our legacy is regarding the essential things of biblical doctrine. And, uh, and one of the things that I have decided a long time ago in my ministry is that I will always stand for the Bible, even if I have to do it in a storefront or on a street corner or in my house or all by myself. I'm so glad that all of you are here today. I'm thankful that we're a part of Apostolic Tabernacle. But if every one of you turned your back on the Word of God, I couldn't change for you. I couldn't change just so that we could you know, all get along. I will stand for the Word of God because I believe that it is absolutely essential to my salvation. And it is not a suggestion. You know, a lot of people approach the word of God like it's a book of suggestions, but it is the word of God divinely inspired for our daily life. And so the first essential that I want us to look at, we're going to kind of build on each one of these as best we can. But the first biblical essential is faith. Everyone said faith, faith, faith is absolutely vital to your relationship with God. Everything about the Christian life is founded upon faith. You can't be saved without faith. You can't see miracles without faith. You can't have a relationship with God without faith. I want you to look at Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, everyone said faith. I know we're waking up without faith. It is impossible to please him. Now, how many know that if you aren't pleasing to God, you can't be saved? So we have to have faith in order to be pleasing to God and to have a relationship with God. For he that cometh to God, now catch this, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. 
Everything is built upon the foundation of believing that God is. You have to know who he is. You have to know that he is there. And then also, it builds on this idea later in the text. We won't be able to read all the way down there because of time constraints. But Paul builds on the idea of understanding that you have to believe and have faith that God loves you. How many believe that God loves you this morning? I'm glad that you do, but there are many people who believe in God, but they do not believe that God is a good God. Did you know that? And so the foundation of the Christian walk is not only believing that God is, but that he is a good God. He is a holy God. He is a loving God. He is a righteous God. And so everything is built on the foundation that God is and that he is a rewarder. Hallelujah. How many are glad that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him? If you seek the Lord, you will find him. I had I've had people ask me my entire life. I, I, I remember asking it myself when I was uh, a teenager and wrestling with it. And they said, well, uh, can you be saved if you don't obey the gospel? And of course, uh, we, if, we, if you believe the Bible, you believe that you cannot be saved apart from obedience to the gospel. Now, what many people will say then, well, what about the people who have never heard the gospel? What about people in far corners of the world who have never heard the gospel? Now, that question used to be more relevant than it is today because uh, we have podcasts and internet and all of those things and the gospel goes everywhere. But to some degree, it's still a relevant question. Let me, let me give you my answer. And, uh, and, and, and I, I've felt this many times as I sought the Lord because I have a burden for the lost. How many care about lost people? Brother Huntley talked to us last night about how Jesus came and he died for lost people. Because no one was born saved. Now, I know some of us have been, uh, we've been saved for 3,000 years now. But let me tell you something. You were not born saved. You may have been saved for a long time, but you weren't born that way. You needed the cross. You needed salvation. And you needed the grace and mercy of God. And Brother Huntley was reminding us last night that, that we all needed loved at some point when we were unlovable. And we all needed the grace of God when we didn't deserve it at some point. That'd be a good place to say amen. And sometimes as the church, we forget, we forget what God delivered us from. And we can look down our noses at people who still need to be saved. And that ought not to be so. But having said all of that, when I think about people around the world who maybe don't have access to apostolic truth the way we do. Maybe there's not a church on every corner. You know, there are still places in the world where there's not a church on every corner. There's the truth isn't being preached at, in every city and all, all over the place. But I'll tell you something. If someone seeks after God, they can be in 10 but two with no church for 3000 miles. If they seek God, they will find him. Oh, I, I wish somebody get a hold of that because it's absolute. Do you believe the Bible? Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. If you believe that God is, then you know that he is a rewarder of them that diligently 
Seek him. If God could speak to Moses in a burning bush. Now, I know we're getting Old Testament here, but if God could speak to Moses from a burning bush, if someone in Timbuktu is seeking after God and saying, God, I, I look at the heavens and I realize that there's something out there and I need to know you better and I, I need to have a relationship with you. Reveal yourself to me, Lord. I, I want you to know that God could speak to somebody all the way around the world and reveal his truth to them. Did you, did you know God is capable of doing that? Did you know that God is not confined by technology? God doesn't need a cell phone. He doesn't need the internet. He doesn't need our books. He, God can speak to somebody wherever they are. God can do it because he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek them. Hebrews 4.2, for unto us was the gospel preached. As well as unto them. So Paul is making a distinction here. Here's two groups of people. We're saved. We were obedient to the gospel. But the gospel was also preached to this other group of people. But the word preached did not profit them. It did no good for them. Because, and he gives the reason why. Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So for the there's two groups of people. The people who heard truth. And they had faith and they mixed their faith with the preached word of God. There's nothing more powerful, powerful than when you combine your faith with the preached word of God. And Paul said, we received it because we mixed the preaching with our faith. But there's another crowd over here. They heard the word preached and they had no faith. And so it profited them nothing. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. When I look at my bishop and I look at my pastor and I see the faith that they have in their life and the relationship that they have with God, I think that's one of the greatest living examples of this scripture that we just read, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it's the evidence. Everyone said the evidence of things not seen. And so when you see someone else's faith and when you see faith in action, And when you have faith and it begins to grow in your life, it becomes the evidence for the unseen. When you look at the world and you see millions of people receiving the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, that's one of the great evidences of God in this world. When you see faith in action, it's a powerful thing. So we have to have faith. We used to sing that old song, faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. You don't need a whole lot. Just use faith. What you've got, but you do have to have some. You do have to have some. Number two, let me take you to our second biblical essential, and that is Jesus. Everyone said Jesus. You need to have faith in Jesus. See how we're building here? You have to have faith in Jesus. You have to know who he is, and you cannot be saved apart from Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, 5, there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. So I'm going to go on record and say that all religions do not lead to God. You cannot be Buddhist and be saved. You cannot be Muslim and be saved. It's not possible because there is one Lord, one faith and one baptism. And there is one God who sits on the throne and Jesus is his name. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12. And so we need to believe and recognize the power the saving power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at John 15 and 5. Jesus said this, I am the vine. 
ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. And he is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. This is a clear reference to hell. Verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Do you see how Jesus is mixing faith here? He says, if you abide in me and then you ask with faith, it's going to be done for you. How many have ever had a miracle in your life? Just raise your hand as a testimony. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe that there is power in the name of the Lord Jesus, at the name of Jesus, demon tremble. At the name of Jesus, sickness has to flee. At the name of Jesus, there is deliverance and there is miracle working power. And so you absolutely must have faith. Now, why can one person call on the name of Jesus and another person call on the name of Jesus and see nothing happen? Because it, your faith is vital to your relationship with God. So you have to have faith and belief in the name of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 8 and 4. So what about eating meat? I'm going to read you from the New Living Translation here because I want us to see a kind of a simplistic version of this. And Paul is entering in the discussion here about the eating of meat. And of course, we know the Old Testament law was, uh, was, um, had been fulfilled by Jesus. And so the rituals were being done away with, the dietary rituals and so forth. And so there was much controversy in the early church about the eating of meat and, and uh, dietary concerns and things of that nature that they had adhered to for their entire lives. And so Paul says... What about eating meat that has been offered to idols? So there was a, a controversy regarding meat that had been offered to idols. And he said, well, we all know that an idol is not really a God. And there is only one God. Can I get an amen? There may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth. And some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But we know that there is only one God, the Father, who created everything. And we live for him. And there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom God made everything and through whom we have been given life. And so Paul is saying there's only one God, there's only one Lord, and his name is Jesus. And so this is a, an essential biblical doctrine. That's why we baptize in the name of Jesus. That's why we Believe the scripture that says whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. That's why we preach the name of Jesus, because in the name of Jesus is all the fullness of the Godhead. When you call on the name of Jesus, you are calling on Jehovah Jireh. When you call on the name of Jesus, you are calling on Jehovah Nisi. And so there is all authority in the name of Jesus. And that's a vital, vital apostolic doctrine. Number three, not only do you need to believe in the authority of the name of Jesus, but you need to understand the importance of the blood of Jesus. How many are thankful for the blood of Jesus this morning? Hebrews 9.22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Everyone said blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. So we cannot be saved without the shedding of blood. Now, in the Old Testament, if you understand from early on, God required 
the shedding of innocent blood as a substitution for the sins of mankind and womankind. And so early on, we see Cain and Abel. How many remember Cain and Abel? They had a dispute. They were angry, and of course, they were brothers. And uh, they both brought an offering. They brought sacrificial offerings to the Lord. And Abel uh, was uh, a shepherd, and he raised flocks. He was a keeper of the sheep. And Cain was a tiller of the ground. And so he grew fruits and vegetables. And Cain brought an offering of fruit to the Lord, and, and he burned it unto the Lord. And his brother at the same time brought a blood sacrifice to the Lord. And the Bible says very clearly that God did not accept Cain's sacrifice of fruit, but he accepted Abel's sacrifice, the blood sacrifice. And from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 4, God was revealing to mankind that once sin had entered into the world, that God absolutely required a substitutionary blood sacrifice for sins. Now, it didn't do away with sins because the blood of goats and the blood of bulls and the blood of lambs had no power to cleanse sins. How many understand that? It did not wash away their sins. It did not purge their sins. All that it did in the Old Testament was roll those sins forward. It pushed those sins into the future and they'd come back every year and they'd have to do it again and they'd push those sins into another year and all of those sins, the sins of humanity after every sacrifice was pushed into the future. Why? Because there was a prophecy that there would be a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There was a lamb, a perfect lamb, a perfect sacrifice, a Messiah, a deliverer, a savior that was yet to come. And so they were pushing kind of like a credit card. Anybody ever had a credit card here before? Anybody wish you didn't have one right now and you're praying, Lord, in Jesus name, get that thing out of my life. Save me, Lord. Deliver me, Lord. Why? Why do you feel that way? Because uh, you may not have to pay for it right now. But. You're going to have to pay for it sometime. And even if you don't pay for all of it, you know, a, a lot of times people have a whole lot of money on a credit card and they get that minimum payment. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all looking at me like, you know, I know you know what I'm talking about. You get that minimum payment and you know, if I can just make that minimum payment, I can keep my car. Glory. Hallelujah. And and so a lot of times what happens with those things is it begins to snowball and it grows and it grows and you keep kind of pushing it forward. And and uh, and sometimes I had a friend in Bible school. He he uh, he paid for all of his college on credit cards. I do not recommend that. Please, please. Now, <laughs> I don't know how many of us are getting ready to go to college, but if you're listening on the podcast, please don't ever do that. It'll hurt you. I promise. He paid for all of his college on credit cards. And what he would do is he would get a card with a zero balance and he would put all of it on the card. And then (laughs) and he wouldn't pay on it for as long as he could. And then when they would finally tell him, you're going to have to start making payments now. You know, sometimes you can get a card and they'll say no payments for six months, something like that. And so he wouldn't make any payments for six months. And then when they started telling him, hey, you got to start making payments, bud. He would go and he would get another credit card. Please don't do this at home, kids. Please don't try this at home. He'd get another credit card and he would transfer the entire balance from that old credit card 
onto a new credit card, and then he'd have six months with no payments. And then he would do that again. And he did that for six years. When he got done, he had $123,000 on credit cards. Hallelujah. And he was hurting. And there came a day when the bill was due. Because, you know, you can only do that so long. And then eventually they're going to say, no, we're not giving you another credit card. You're going to have to start paying on the one you got. And so in the Old Testament, it was kind of like that. It was similar to that. Sins were being pushed forward, pushed forward. We couldn't pay our debt. Did you know you can't pay your debt for your sin? There's nothing that you can do to pay the debt for your sin. There was nothing that Adam could do to pay the debt for his disobedience. There was nothing that Eve could do in her own goodness to pay the debt for their disobedience and their rebellion to God. And so God had a plan from the foundation of the world. God had a Messiah, and his name was Jesus. Praise the Lord. And when Jesus came onto the scene, when he shed his innocent blood, he was a perfect man. He was God manifest in the flesh. And so when he bled, and when he died, and when they beat his back, the blood fell from his shoulders, and they pressed the crown of thorns on his forehead and blood trickled down his face and went down into his eyes. And I'm so thankful that the Bible teaches us that by his stripes we are healed. And not only are we healed physically, but we are healed spiritually. We find salvation all because of the blood of Jesus. He was the perfect sacrifice. That's what we mean when we say he was the perfect sacrifice. He was the only sacrifice God literally he looked down at humanity and he said there is no man that can do it there is no woman could that could do it Moses could not do it Abraham in all of his righteousness Abraham could not do it David even though he was a man after my own heart and he was a worshiper he was frail and flawed and sinful and David could not do it no man could do it so I will robe myself in flesh and I will come down born of a virgin on Christmas morning and I will live a perfect sinless life and I will be pleasing to the Father and I will go willingly as a dumb lamb that is led to the shearer and I will bleed and my blood will be perfect blood. And that sacrifice, now catch this, some people don't know this. Not only did he die for your sins and my sins, he died so that we could be saved. He died so that everyone that was screaming crucify him could be saved. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Think about that for me. Think about it. Don't just let it go over your head. He died so that the Roman soldiers who thrust the spear in his side, he died for them just as much as he died for Peter, James, and John. God is no respecter of persons. God died for the Pharisees. That instigated the process that led him to Calvary's hill. That is the love of Jesus. My friend, that is the love of Jesus. He died for their sins and he died for the future sins of mankind. That means that he died for you and me. He, he knew you way back then on Calvary. He knew you and he died for you. But not only that, the blood of Jesus finally purged. All of those millions of sins 
that had been pushed forward through the centuries that had been pushed for and every bull and every goat and every ox and every sacrifice, all of those sins that had been pushed into the future, there they were symbolically on Calvary's hill. And when the Bible says that he bore his sin, our sins in his own body, that wasn't just the sins of the people that day and it wasn't just the sins of us in the future, but it was the sins of all of those sacrifices that had been placed all throughout the years So he bore past, present, and future sins. What a mighty God we serve this morning. Oh, thank God for the blood of Jesus. Praise God for the blood of Jesus. I thank him for the blood. I thank him for the blood. We cannot cannot be saved without the blood of Jesus. And what an insult it is to God. What an insult it is to Jesus when we try to say that perhaps... All religions lead to God. What an insult it is. What an insult it is to God. I know this is a little strong and I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. I love you. This is not intended to hurt your feelings. But I care more about being pleasing to God and offending God than I do hurting your feelings. So let me just say this very quickly. What an insult it is to God, to the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, to say it does not matter if you're baptized in Jesus' name. What a slap in the face to Jesus that is. Because it was his blood. It was his blood that was shed for us. And so there's all authority and all power, all saving power in the name of Jesus. Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption. Everyone said redemption. Through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. All of salvation, all of the gospel that we're about to look at here, all of that hinges on The blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. Can you say praise the Lord? And so that leads us to the fourth biblical essential. These are absolutely essential doctrines. You cannot be saved if you don't believe these doctrines. Number four is the new birth or what we sometimes call salvation. Sometimes we say it this way, that you need to be born again. All of those are correct and all of those mean essentially the same thing. Now look at Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and Verse number three, Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night and had a question. He said, what, you know, how can I be saved? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Everyone said heaven. And Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water, everyone said baptism, and of the Spirit, everyone said the Holy Ghost, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Look at your neighbor and say, he cannot. That's pretty emphatic, isn't it? There's not a lot of wiggle room there. Now, let me take you to the next slide. And I want to talk to you about the plan of salvation or the new birth. We, we call it the new birth because, listen, in the Old Testament, listen to this very carefully. In the Old Testament, it was all about death. Your ability to be saved and make it to heaven all hinged on death. It all hinged on the death of, of a lamb or the death of a bull or the death of a goat or the death of a turtle dove. It was all, all of it hinged around death. But in the New Testament... Jesus died. He was the final sacrifice. 
And now, and what Jesus was just telling to Nicodemus, and oh, I love this. I hope you love this as much as I do. Jesus was saying that in this New Testament covenant, it is all about new life. In the Old Testament, it was death. But in the New Testament, you're born again unto life. And not just any life, but life more abundantly. And so it's all about birth in the New Testament. And so it's like Brother Huntley said last night, you you can't just shake someone's hand or have a vote or sign on a dotted line to be a member of an apostolic church. You have to be born into an apostolic church. You have to be born again into an apostolic church. And so look at this. The new birth is the starting place. I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to be able to get much past this. The new birth is the starting place in the Christian experience. When a baby is born, is that the end of their life? No. When a baby is born in the natural, that's the beginning. And it's exciting, isn't it? Isn't it exciting when babies are born? Uh, Listen, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. And we celebrate and we throw parties and we give showers and we do all of this stuff and we, and, and uh, we go and we pinch their cheeks and all that good stuff and, and we buy them clothes and grandparents go absolutely insane out of their minds. They lose their mind. My parents as grandparents are not the same people that they were with me when I was a kid. They're not even the same people. It's amazing how it is. Grandparents get excited and parents lose their minds and everybody loses their mind. It's a wonderful thing. But it doesn't stop there. That's just the beginning of life. And we celebrate it as we should. That's the right thing to do. And then we continue to celebrate. And wouldn't it be sad if 20 years later, oh, if Sister Jennifer was here, I don't see her here, but she, I know she'd run the aisles when I say this. Wouldn't it be sad if 20 years after the birth, They were still screaming all night long and needing a bottle. Help us, Lord. Listen, my children being born is one of the most exciting things that ever happened in my entire life. And I love every moment of them being a baby. Even the sleepless nights, I thank God for them. But I'm glad they're over. I'm glad we're in a new new stage of life. Hallelujah. And so many people... And this is where modern Christianity has really missed the boat. I mean, they, they missed the cruise ship, man. They, they bought the ticket and then missed out on the whole thing. What, they, what most of modern Christianity does is they, they, they do the new birth and, or, or they do a part of the new birth. Most people stop at repentance or something of that nature or they'll stop at baptism. And so they just kind of do part of the new birth. And, and, but let's just say they do all of it. They're completely obedient to all of the gospel. But then they stop there and they stay a baby. You can't do that. That's not, that's not what God intended for us to do. And so it's the beginning of the experience. It's not the end goal. The end goal is for us to mature and grow in our relationship with God. And the new birth mirrors the death of Christ. And so let me run through it with you real quick. Number one, the death of Jesus mirrors repentance. Everyone said repentance. At repentance, we die to the old man. We die out to our old sin nature. We say, we don't just say we're sorry. We make a decision. I am changing. You know, that's really what repentance is. Repentance is not. I'm sorry. It includes. I'm sorry. But really, repentance is saying I'm done with my old life. I'm changing. I'm sorry for my old life. 
But I'm more than sorry. I'm done with my old life. Lord, forgive me. God, change me. Lord, I want to be like you. Lord, I want to be saved. Lord, take me to a new place. Lord, I'm ready. That's what repentance is. It's not just crocodile tears. Repentance is a decision to change. And secondly, water baptism. Everyone said water baptism. Water baptism in Jesus' name is a mirror image of the burial. So we go down. We are buried with him in baptism, the apostle said. So we are buried in Jesus' name for the remittance of sins. But how many understand, as we just said, that if Jesus had stayed in the tomb, we wouldn't be here today. How many recognize that? You know, a lot of good men have died. A lot of, a lot of religious figures have died. A lot of great people have given their lives for other people. Did you know that? A lot of, I mean, I could talk to you. I, I have a friend who's a, a war vet from Afghanistan. And, and, uh, and he had a buddy who threw himself in front of a grenade for him. A lot of good people have died for other people. It wasn't just that he died, even though that's a precious, wonderful thing. But the power of the gospel is that he did not stay dead, but he arose on the third day and he came out of the grave. And so it is. If we are going to mirror the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ Jesus, we have got to have the resurrection. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Ghost is the resurrection power of the gospel. You absolutely must have the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues for salvation to be completed in your life. Look at Romans 8, 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Everyone said the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Stand with me and I'm, I'm closing this morning. How many want to be completely obedient to the word of God in every area of your life? I want to have all of the essentials in my life. And I certainly want to be obedient to the gospel. All of it hinges on that. If you have faith, if you believe in Jesus, if you understand the significance of the blood of Jesus, and if you're obedient to the completion of the gospel in your life, it will lead you to a greater, stronger, powerful relationship with God. Can we lift up our hands all across this building and thank the Lord for his touch today? Lord, we love you. We worship you. We're thankful for your word today. Thank you for being in our lives, God. Thank you for touching us. Thank you for pouring out your spirit upon us, Lord. We give you praise. We thank you for the word. And everyone said in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.